Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Over the last five weeks, talked about different convictions of our life, and today we want to talk about soundtrack conviction number six. We're going to talk about risk. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. Life is full of risks, and yes, taking the lid off of your coffee cup is a risk, I suppose, right? That's a silly way of of looking at risk. But I want to talk to you this morning, and hopefully the Lord will speak to our hearts about that it's right to risk for the cause of Christ. It's right to risk for the cause of Christ. You know, our soundtrack, what we've talked about the last five weeks, is the soundtrack we're uh, we're living our lives to. It could be an actual song that we sort of just dance along to, it's also those mental values, the, the core beliefs and convictions of our life that determine our worldview and the decisions, how we make the decisions that we make. That's our soundtrack. But there's also another soundtrack. It's a soundtrack that our life will play, not only from the people who watch us, our children, our coworkers, our family. There's also, at the end of our life, I feel like there's going to be a soundtrack that's played of the entirety of our life. People look back on your legacy, your soundtrack, and what will they hear? What will they see? What will they say, this is what that person lived for? This is what they died for? That's the soundtrack I think about a lot. I think about, and I said this uh, several weeks ago, was there's one thing I want to hear from Jesus when I stand at that end of my life, that day, I want to hear him say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the soundtrack that plays in my head, that I did the best with what I was given. I took the most of every opportunity. I was willing to risk for the cause of Christ. You know, when I learned that phrase, go big or go home, it was my band director in 10th grade. And he, he would say this, go big or go home. Bring everything you have, work hard or don't come at all. And he would say, you know, home is comfortable and it's safe. And it is, isn't it? Home is comfortable and safe. It's warm and fuzzy and all snuggly. And there are oftentimes circumstances in our life that require us to move away from what's comfortable and snuggly. It's okay and it's right to risk for the cause of Christ. I think there are four things that risk provides for us. I think it gives us the potential for greater reward. It acts as a catalyst for our life. It's in those moments that our greatness is is born out of, those moments of risk. It serves as inspiration. It inspires others. When you're willing to step out in faith and risk, others watch your life, they listen to your soundtrack, and they are willing themselves to step forward. Risk opens the door then for greater opportunity in your own life. When we begin to sense the calling of God and and understand his faithfulness, we begin to make those risks that otherwise we wouldn't have and open the door for greater opportunity. Understand that risk in the kingdom of God starts with seeing a need and then moving to meet that need. That's what risk is. You know, risk is part of, our everyday life, not just if you don't put a lid on your hot coffee. 
But we have risk in our everyday life. The, the fact is we're probably used to most of the risks that we take. And we've, we've done our due diligence to minimize our exposure to risk. I mean, think about your everyday life. When you get up, the moment you step out of bed, you begin to take risks, right? Did you move your shoes out of the way the night before? And as you get out of bed, if you trip, you're risking your life if you get out of bed, right? You're praying that your kids did not drop your toothbrush into the sink and then put it back without rinsing it off. You risk. Then you go into the most dangerous place of all, the kitchen. I mean, think about it. Knives, fire, hot stoves and ovens, the toaster, right? Don't even get me started on what's in your fridge, right? How long has that mayonnaise been in there that you haven't opened, right? We threw away a bottle of hot sauce the other day that expired two years ago, right? I mean, you don't even know what's in your own fridge. That's risk. But we try to minimize our exposure. When you get in the car, we all know that there's a risk, right? You've heard the statistic. Most accidents happen within five miles of your home, right? So me and my wife, we solved the problem. We moved five miles away. (laughs) Cut it right. Some of you got that. We minimize our risk. We have airbags and we buy safe cars and we wear our seatbelts to minimize our risk. But we still risk. We calculate it. We weigh the benefits and the costs. In my former life, I was a rock climber. I managed an indoor climbing gym and I guided uh, outdoor climbing adventures. And people would have this assumption that climbing was safe and I was obligated to always tell them, climbing is inherently dangerous. It's never safe. There's no part of climbing that's safe. Most people feel that once you get on the ropes and the harnesses, you're good. And it's true, you've minimized your exposure to risk, but we never want people to think they're safe. That's when they do stupid things and get themselves hurt. But in that, in that adventure, you're not safe. And it's a calculated risk. Most are willing to have a little adventure with a little risk. I think it's right to risk for the kingdom of God. You know, the book of James, chapter 4, starting in verse 13, puts it this way. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The writer of the book of James is saying, all of life is a risk. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. For us to say, well, the opportunity I see in front of me today, I'll take advantage of tomorrow or next week. What I feel God is leading me to do today in this moment, I'll put off until it's, it's a better time or it's a safer time. Or, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. The need that you see today, you may not get the chance to answer and be the solution to that need tomorrow. You know, I don't ever want to live my life with regret. That's one thing I've sort of vowed to do in my life, never live uh, with regret. 
And, and that was born out of one experience I can point all the way back to when I was seven years old. I was in church one Sunday evening, and the children's ministries pastor came to, to my mom, and, and me and my brother and my two sisters were sitting there, and, and she asked if we would like to come with her and be clowns for the carnival that was going to follow the church service that night. Well, my brother and two sisters, they jumped at it, and they were all over that. And I was like, um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Clowns are scary. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what, what I would be doing. I, there was this fear of the unknown, and I was gripped by, I'm not sure. And so they, off they went, and I got to participate in the adult service. So when I woke up later, <laughs> we went out to the carnival, and there was my brother and my two sisters dressed in these wonderful, colorful clown costumes, and they were manning the candy area, just bowls of candy that was being handed out. And I thought, I missed it. It was my life's calling right there, right? In that moment, I had this epiphany, this revelation. I'd never felt regret like that before in my life. But in that moment, I did. And I vowed as a seven-year-old that I would never have regret, that I would be willing to try things just because I, I didn't want to have any regret. It's kind of simple, right? Maybe silly. But it was that one simple moment that was the catalyst for the decisions I would make throughout my life. I would think back to that moment when faced with decisions about college and future and friends and all sorts of other things that I've tried in my life. I've done because of that one moment I thought, you know what? I don't want to live with regret. Oftentimes, we don't risk because of fear of what other people will say, the unknown, what might happen. I think Teddy Roosevelt said it best when he said this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. May it be said of us as Christ followers that we dared greatly, even in our failures. That we were not held back by fear. Fear of failure, the fear of people, the fear of embarrassment, fear of our, our reputation. The fear of leaving our comfort and our preferences, venturing out into the great unknown. It is right to risk for the cause of Christ, for there is no greater risk. Really, the question then becomes motivation. Why do I risk? Do I risk so that I can look valiant as a great risk taker for the Lord God himself? Or do I risk because I see a need? And I don't want to be held back by fear. I want to run to meet that need, whatever the cost I think there is no greater motivation and scripture is full of stories of people who see need and run to meet that need despite any cost. 
I think we find our greatest satisfaction in life. When our greatest passions meet one of the world's greatest needs. And when you understand that risk in the kingdom of God is not a short-term investment. It's not a short-term gain. You begin to have the mind of Christ. There are a few stories I want to run through quickly this morning. I'll give you the, the chapter and the reference in the scripture. And perhaps this week you can read more in depth about these stories. These characters found in scriptures. And how they took risks and what they were motivated by. One of my favorite stories is of Jonathan. He's the son of the first king of Israel, King Saul, who'd become a great friend to to King David. Jonathan and David were great friends. So in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 14, there is a Philistine encampment not too far from Israel. And here Jonathan, who is a great warrior, ventures out with his armor bearer. He says, I'm going to go for a stroll, Dad. Catch you in a few. Meanwhile, he takes off to scout out this Philistine encampment. Filled with Philistine soldiers, the enemy of Israel. And he looks at his armor bearer and he says, let's go over and check out the encampment. And let's attack it. And I love his armor bearer's response. Hey, whatever you think, dude, I'm with you. Let's do it. It's not quite like that in scripture, but that's in my brain. That's what it sounds like. So the, Phil- the Philistines have this garrison, this, this group of soldiers, and, and they're up on one cliff, and there's a pass, and there's another cliff. And these two cliffs, are these, they're named this, Bozes and Senna. Bozes and Senna. Bozes means rock, and Senna means hard place. Jonathan found himself caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm kidding, I totally made that up. That's, some of you are like, wow, that's scripture? No, I just made it up. But it makes sense, doesn't it? 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6 says it this way. Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love that phrase right in there. Maybe you missed it. He says, who knows? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. The spirit of perhaps should grab the spirit of every one of us. That we act on the need that we see. Jonathan saw a need. He saw the Philistines encamped and ready to attack. He saw them encroaching on the people of Israel. He knew that the battle would be engaged soon, so he decided to move and act before that. He says to his armor bearer, perhaps when we attack, who knows, the Lord may act on our behalf. He doesn't need a lot. He can use a few. So he acts. If you read the story, you'll understand that there's not this booming voice of God that says, Jonathan, go attack the Philistines. He doesn't stand back and spiritually say to his armor bearer, I feel like the Lord is calling me to attack the Philistines. He doesn't say that either. He just sees a need. He has an idea and he moves and acts upon it. In fact, the story says that he looks at his armor bearer and says, hey, look, we're not going to go through the pass because that would be obvious and Let's take the more risky route. Let's go right up the cliff. 
And the way it describes it is sort of this scrambling. And I've seen the pictures of these cliffs. They're jagged, dry rocks, probably crumbly. And he says, we'll climb up there. And if on our way they say to us, hey, come on up here, then we'll know that the Lord has given them into our hands. <laughs> totally logical. But if they don't say that, then, then we'll retreat. We know that the Lord isn't with us. John is simply acting on faith, risking for the kingdom of God. And we see that because of this act, he routes the Philistine army. He inspires the rest of the army, his army as well. Here's what I know about risk. Risk has opportunity. And in this case, opportunity doesn't often come with a booming voice of God or clarity in its details and plans. Isn't that true about every risk in your life? There's very little clarity, lots of confusion. And it isn't until you begin to move into that area of risk, that opportunity, that things might become a little clearer. Confusion begins to wane. Clarity begins to form. But it's not until you begin to move. I know this about opportunity as well. New opportunities rarely come from the same well-worn paths in life. New opportunities rarely come from the same well-worn paths. The next story is the story of Esther. Perhaps you've read the book of Esther in the Bible. Esther was a young woman, a, a young Hebrew woman. She hid her Jewish background at the advice of her uncle. And she happened to be found beautiful when the king was searching for a new queen. So she got to participate in a beauty pageant of sorts to see who would become the next queen. Talk about pressure. I wish for world peace. No king asks for world peace. That king wants world domination. So she, for a year, ladies, listen to this. She is pampered. Manicures, pedicures, all sorts of cures for one year. I mean, think about it. For a year, she's just nothing but mud masks and exfoliation and I I don't know what else, but for a year. And she's got her own servant serving her hand and foot, waiting on every one of her needs. I mean, and if I just had a year like that, can you imagine how full of a head of hair I would have? (laughs) But for a year, she's treated like this. And then she's taken before the queen, as are all of these potential queens. And she's chosen. She becomes queen. It's not long after that in the story in Esther chapter 4 that we see that Mordecai, her uncle who had raised her, discovers a great plot from one of the king's right-hand men to destroy all of the Jews. Of course, her identity is hidden at this point. But Mordecai comes to her and says, you need to go to the king on behalf of your people or they're going to be destroyed. And Esther says, I haven't been called into the king's chambers for over 30 days. And if I were to approach him without his permission, without his invitation, it could cost me my life. And Mordecai says to her, listen, you need to go because people will die if you don't. In fact, it may be your own life that you save. But he says, if you don't go, salvation, rescue will come from somewhere else, from somebody else. Because God always has a remnant ready. He says, do you not know 
that you might have taken this royal position for such a time as this. Join me in Esther chapter 4, end of verse 14. Mordecai says, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sends this reply back to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She sees the need. And though reluctant at first, she responds to the challenge, to the opportunity. Listen to me, opportunity often will require us to trade comfortable living for kingdom impact. Opportunity will oftentimes require of us trading in comfortable living for kingdom impact. I know we as Americans think you can have it both ways, but I'm not convinced that we can. Perhaps where you are today and the challenges, obstacles, and circumstances you face in your life is exactly where God wants you for such a time as this. And I know fear makes us run away. But the Spirit of God, that courage that can rise up when you say, if I perish, I perish. Maybe you take a step forward into that risk, closer to that challenge, and discover new opportunity. Perhaps you take that risk to become a traitor. I know of one such traitor in my life, my Grandpa Reisner. After 40 plus years of full time ministry as a pastor, upon his retirement, when when many his age bought a motor home, a retirement home, did the golf course thing. Him and my grand, grandma packed it all up. And they began their full-time missionary work to Africa. And they traveled throughout the year. They'd be in the States for anywhere from six weeks to three months, raising funds for Bible colleges and and churches and other special projects for missionaries over in Africa. And then they would go to Africa for six weeks to three months and travel, observing the needs, helping to build these buildings, ministering to the people of Africa, Chad and Niger, Mozambique, Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, Zimbabwe. They traveled throughout Africa. My grandpa traded it all because he knew that to risk was right when it came to the cause of Christ. And he lived his life to the fullest in that sense till the very end of his days. You know, it's not just people who are older that do things for the kingdom of God. It's oftentimes young people who are willing to respond to risk, and the scriptures are are full of these young people. One of the most inspiring stories for me is the story of the three Hebrew children. You would know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It makes for a great VeggieTales story. These three young men taken captive from their home in Israel, brought to Babylon, when many of their counterparts were forced into physical labor, slavery in that form. They were forced into servitude to the king in the king's court because of their stature and their, their 
uh, great masculine beauty, probably not much unlike myself, and their great wisdom. They were in this court of wise men. And again, it was, it was wicked men who conspired to convince the king that he should do something that was probably not right. They, ha- they said, king, you should build a great big statue of yourself and then make everybody bow down to you. How great would that be? And so the king did it and he declared that everybody, when they heard the sound of the trumpet, that they should bow down to his idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three teenagers, knowing there was only one true God, the Yahweh, that they had come to know as young kids. They saw the need for someone to stand for what was right. And so the moment the trumpet sounded, and I would love to know if the three young men had gotten together beforehand and said, hey, let's stand together, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll stand together. I wonder if they had collaborated behind the scenes somehow to encourage one another. Or perhaps without any collaboration, when everybody else dropped to their knees to bow to the idol, did they think they would be standing alone? Did they choose by themselves and just happen to go, Shadrach, what's up, dude? I'm standing too, all right. Meshach, what's up? You know? We have teenagers who are willing to stand. In fact, it's, I think this next week that there's a thing called See You at the Pole where teenagers at every school are encouraged to gather at their flagpole and stand for what is right and what's just and to pray for their school and for their nation. There's young people who are willing to stand. Listen to what happens to these three young men. On pain of death, they decide not to bow. They're brought before the king and King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe having a fondness for these young men, says, hey, I'm going to give you one more chance. I made this law. You got to do it. Please do it. I love their response. It's one of someone who understands the risk and are willing to take it. They respond by saying this. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3 says this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Boom. King, you must understand that we're not going to bow because our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. That's bold. That's risk. To understand with faith that my God can deliver me from every situation, every encounter, every struggle that I have. But my faith says that even if he does not save, he is still God. That is faith. And to stand boldly on pain of death, not to bow to the images and idols of our culture, but to stand against and say, my God will save me. But even if he doesn't, I will still serve him. You see, I understand this about risk is that opportunity often forces us to choose what matters most without any guarantee. 
But our comfortable lifestyle, our rights that we feel as Americans is that we have to have guarantee. We want it in writing. We want to be safe. I oftentimes think of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia when Lucy says to Tumnus, or to Mr. Beaver, I think it is, if you know the story. Mr. Beaver's talking about Aslan, the great lion, representative of Jesus Christ. She says, well, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, oh, he's a lion. He is not safe, but he's good. Our God is good. I don't want to serve a God who's safe. I want to serve a God who requires from me the greatness that he himself planted in my life, in my heart. Who wants to see that in my life. The last story I want to share with you quickly is one of King David. Who as a young boy before he was king is summoned by his father as a delivery boy to bring pizzas to his brothers out on the battlefield. Maybe not pizzas, but you know. They're teenagers, so that's what they eat. And he arrives upon the battlefield to hear the giant Goliath, the Philistine. Again, another battle between Israel and the Philistines. And as he's walking up with his pizzas, right? He hears Goliath say, send out your champion. Who will fight me? Everybody knows he's calling out King Saul. Everybody sees the need, but it's David who responds. Who's this joker? Insulting the people of God and God himself? Is there not anybody who's going to respond to this need? David decides to respond. You know, opportunity often looks like overwhelming problems with no promise of a beneficial outcome right? Opportunity is often masked with problems and challenges that seem overwhelming. And yet when you step into that area of risk, you'll discover greater benefit than you could ever have imagined. Greater things could happen. God has oftentimes brought us through other experiences that have prepared us for that very moment. David responds to all the critics and including King Saul, who tried to dress him in his own armor and say, kid, you need to wear this. You're going to get destroyed. David says, nah. He says it this way in First Samuel 17, verse 34. David says to the king, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried it off a sheep from the flock, I went after and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. That's hunting. Come on, right there. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David was taking care of business in private so that it was time to come to greatness in public. He was ready. So the question for you is what are you doing in private? Are you taking care of the lion and the bear? Because listen, when David runs, because he's been faithful in the little and God gives him opportunity in the big, he's ready. And David doesn't have to use 
something out of the ordinary for him. He didn't pick up a sword. He didn't wear the king's armor. He picks up five rocks and pulls out his trusty sling. I'm telling you, God's preparing you for the very thing you're facing right now. God has prepared you and is preparing you for the big opportunity that's coming around the corner. So are you being faithful in little things? Or are you saying, oh, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. It does. Because what you're learning now is going to be used for that great thing that God is bringing your way. It is right to risk for the cause of Christ. I want the band to come now. You know, when we risk and we look at risk, we think of all the things that could happen and we think in terms of worst case scenario. And we want a promise of safety, safekeeping. But I believe that all that I entrusted to God, he's faithful with what I entrust to him. Think of the Apostle Paul. If you read of his own account and stories, the Apostle Paul himself would say in his own words, look, the Christian faith is not a walk of safety. He says, I've been flogged and whipped, beaten. I've been stoned. And not the good kind of stone, like actual rocks hitting my body. I've been imprisoned. I've been shipwrecked twice. I've been stranded. My life's been in danger more times than I can count. And when he faces challenge, even the, the people who love him, who surround him are saying, Paul, don't, go, don't return to Jerusalem. You barely made it out last time. Don't go back there, he says, but I see a need. I must. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering and I must respond to their need. You know, there's a, a biblical way to respond to risk. Jesus himself gave us the guidelines. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God led him into the desert to be tempted. And it's one of these temptations that's risky. The devil takes him up to the top of the temple. And Satan says, throw yourself off. Because the scripture says that he won't allow your foot to strike the ground. You won't be hurt. He'll cause his angels to, to rescue you. Jesus calculates the risk. I'm sure he was saying, well, what would be my motivation for that? Sure, God would get glory, but what's the need? And Jesus says, no, no. The Bible says don't tempt the Lord your God. But then look at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what's about to happen. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, catch this. Whoever wants to be my follower, my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. What have you done? What have you risked for the cause of Christ? There may be those who are close to you who would say, no, 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 don't do that. It's not safe. It makes sense to do this or that. And you need to weigh that out. You need to wrestle it out. See the need and respond to it. This morning, as we close with this song, would you reflect and search your own heart? Where is God calling you to risk? For the, for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. What does that look like for you? Perhaps it's stepping into faith for the very first time and saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with my life. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm going to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's to forgive somebody. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken that you need to step in to risk and to repair that, to bring restoration. Maybe it's to follow a dream or a call that God has placed on your life. Maybe it's to share your faith at work with a neighbor or your family. Maybe it's to begin tithing and giving to the local storehouse. Maybe it's to make audacious prayers to God and then to act upon those prayers. I don't know what it is for you today, but I trust that the Spirit of God is speaking to each of us. Would you in this moment make that your prayer? Maybe it's taking a risk and stepping out in faith to agree with one of our prayer partners in prayer over the very circumstances that you're facing. Let's do that this morning, in this moment. Maybe the greatest risk for you this morning is taking that next step of faith. For some of you this morning, you've never stepped in to faith in Jesus. Beyond just attending church, beyond just recognizing there's a God in this universe, it's saying, Jesus, I commit my life to following you and, and becoming more like you that's you this morning church with your eyes closed and your head bowed in this solemn moment would you take that step of faith maybe for you it's there's an embarrassment factor of a pride factor of saying I need Jesus I can't do it on my own you know you'd be stepping into very good company here full of people who have stepped into that same place of saying I need Jesus and without him my life has no hope So all around this room this morning, in this moment, would you risk it and raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. That's all we're going to do is we're just going to say a prayer with you as you begin the journey. Would you lift your hand high? We want to say that prayer with you this morning. Jesus, I want to trust in you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Church, as we celebrate with those who've stepped into that area of risk, are raising their hand, acknowledging their need for Jesus. Let's pray with them and celebrate with them. Would you pray out loud with me, all of us together? Dear Jesus, I'm in desperate need of you. Would you forgive me of doing things my way? Would you come into my life and help me to live for you? Thank you for dying on the cross to bring me forgiveness 
and new life. Thank you that I'm a new creation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Church, let's give a round of applause for those who've made that decision this morning. We celebrate you guys. I believe God has greater things for this church. We will be that church that risks for his sake, for his kingdom's sake. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we want to be that church. We don't want to be average. We don't want to be the average American church and the average American Christian who's just an attender. But Father, we want to run after you and we want to run after those who have no hope. We want to run after the needs that are so apparent in our world and we want to be the hope of this world, your church, bringing you to those who have no hope. We want to be more than just the average church. God, would you inspire our hearts, inspire our minds, inspire our faith. Father, beyond my words, may people respond to your word. And beyond my cause, may people respond to your cause. You are faithful. We trust in you. Amen.